Hi, folks. Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run of the mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And oh, by the way, they're doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters, support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. KJ, good to see you. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Belated Happy New Year to you and all our listeners. Appreciate that. And right back at you. We are recording on Tuesday. You're listening if you're listening live on Wednesday. So somewhere between 24 and 36 hours approximately after the playoff games uh, of Monday. Keith, did you did you watch? Was it must-see TV or was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is on. Let me put it on in the background. How did you treat it? It was it was must-watch because I enjoy this time of year. Uh, it ranks right up there in my personal viewing with, uh, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, those are just times of the year when I like watching uh, the name programs and the mid-majors and that type of thing come March Madness. I enjoyed watching several of the other games. I, I thought uh, Oregon played very well. I'm sorry that uh, the Block household is disappointed uh, with the LSU uh, outcome. Uh, but I did watch both of the playoff games, and uh, and I didn't stay up because I'm too old for the final uh, few minutes of the uh, uh, of the Sugar Bowl. But I was I was two things jumped out at me. Number one, uh, I I completely underestimated Michigan. Uh, particularly their defensive line. Uh, I'm not a Michigan fan. I don't mean to offend anybody, but didn't grow up watching them. Every time Florida State played them, we've had some reasonable success against them. Not a big Harbaugh fan. Uh, thought that they were a little bit overrated, uh, but they're a very, very good college football team. Uh, was kind of disappointed in one hand that Alabama didn't play well, uh, but I also joined a number of FSU faithful that, um, you know, think that, uh, you know, it was due justice or, or whatever frame you want to uh, couch it in that they lost, that Alabama lost. Uh, really impressed with the Washington squad. I had watched highlights of their quarterback and, and their ability to throw the ball, uh, but they played a very, very good ball game uh, against Texas. It came down very close. The argument could be made, Tommy. Uh, because of how close the ball games were over time in the Rose Bowl and, and you know, last play of the game type of thing uh, in, in the Sugar Bowl, that maybe the committee got it right, at least in terms of the results. Uh, I don't agree with that, but I understand that some people may make that and draw that conclusion. 
can't believe you opened that can of worms here on this very show, KJ. I'm just saying. I have no doubt that some people are making that argument, but that would change the charge altogether. Then just right, we're looking for the most entertaining, closest game that goes down to the wire. I didn't say I was right, and I was talking about other people, not me. Gotcha. First of all, one point of clarification. LSU came back and won that game uh, because I heard my wife screaming with excitement as that happened. Well, then I apologize because I turned it off um, again because of the, uh, well, let's just say I was sleepy. Under, understood. Uh, as far as, you know, I think of this Alabama dynamic, part of it is Alabama fatigue. Whoever's been on top, you just get tired of them. If it's the Yankees, if it's the Cowboys, right now it's Alabama. I think another part of it, and it, this is the nuance to the Florida State story that nationally people don't know, but Florida State looks back fondly, but also has regrets about the fact that a 14 playoff didn't exist during Bobby's dynasty years. Because then FSU would have been the team that maybe it wasn't FSU's best year. But you know what? They probably would have got the benefit of the doubt. And maybe they'd have been the fourth team in the playoff that year based on how good they had been the year before and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And again, you know, my argument, others may not agree, but, you know, if if the ACC and particularly Commissioner Phillips hadn't done what they did two years ago, and trying to create this thing called the alliance and therefore postponing or delaying or making the vote to go to the 12 team format this year in 2023, that most likely everyone, no guarantees and hindsight's always 2020, but there was a very good likelihood that had that vote going forward, we would have had a 12 team playoff this year. And then this is a moot argument. We would just be complaining about rank number five versus rank number four as it relates to it. So there's a lot of what ifs that, you know, come into play. But I agree with you. Um, You know, I'm also old school enough to think that, you know, if Florida State had played better in some of those games during Bobby's tenure, uh, we could have had five or six national championships because you lost to Tennessee, you lost to Oklahoma, you lost to Florida. That's three right there. Um, but I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And yes, it would have been interesting because technically, Tommy, Florida State was in the top four for 14 consecutive seasons. Well, and they were in the top four heading into this bowl season. If you looked at the AP or the coaches poll, by the way. One thing I thought of uh, you immediately when it happened, Keith, but I was happy to see a top four team struggle to field a punt. And I thought somewhere KJ is ripping what little Harry has left out of his head. Uh, that is, a, that, as they say, that is a fact, Jack. Uh, it's, I just, I can't, I still can't get my hands around the fact that, um, you know, that ball is yours and, and, and you can signal for a fair catch. And we saw fair catch interference in one of those games. Uh, they can't hit you. If they do, it's not a problem. So get your hind end over there where the ball is and make a catch. And don't fumble it. Don't drop it. Don't do things, you know, that that create problems. Uh, and we saw all of that in, in a couple of situations. One thing that occurred to me with the new playoff format, and I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work in terms of where the games fall on the calendar, but I don't think anybody's getting four weeks off anymore, right? I think you might get – if, if you get a buy, are you getting three weeks or only two weeks off? I don't even know. 
But well, I don't think they've decided because, uh, and we'll we'll talk about this. I'd be interested in making sure that Kurt, uh, who will join us in a little bit, agrees with us uh, in terms of our understanding. I don't think the exact format has actually been decided, but there might be uh, a situation. There's an argument to be made that you could play. Remember, the first four games are played at the home site of the highest ranked team. Four teams get a bye. And then eight teams play four games. You could run those games on the Saturday after championship weekend. And then everybody gets the by clubs would get an extra week, but then everybody would get a minimum of two, possibly three weeks before you start back. I would be much more in favor of that. Mm-hmm. Well, what I was getting at is and it's the way the calendar falls, but I've never felt that having a, 28-day layoff. Uh, You mentioned the Tennessee game. I think it was 41 days for FSU because that year they played Florida the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and that game was January 4th. There's no cohesiveness and continuity that goes with that long a break. So to shorten this up, my takeaway was, you know, with shorter breaks between games, we may see better football where the center can actually snap it to the quarterback and the punt returners not not muffing them back. I don't know what was going on with the Alabama center, by the way. Well, I, I think Coach Saban kind of summed it up. You know, they 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 beat themselves. We, they couldn't get out of their own way. Uh, but yeah, there was an issue with snaps, and as we've documented, the issues with with uh, you know, returning punts. Uh, that was not an Alabama team that played very well. Certainly, they played very well against Georgia, but they did not play well uh, in 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 the in the game against Michigan. As you folks would tell you, that was the Alabama team we saw the the preponderance of times this year compared to the one we saw against Georgia on that first Saturday uh, in December. All right, Keith, Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider, is uh, in the bullpen. We'll go ahead and uh, get him uh, out onto the mound so he can warm up, and uh, we'll roll on with the show. Sounds like a plan? I think baseball season's right around the corner, Tommy. Yeah, we're not going to talk baseball today, though, so maybe I shouldn't have used the baseball uh, metaphor there. Anyway, we'll take a break, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Let's open up the Earl Bacon Agency for the first time here in 2024 and say Happy New Year to our Osceola insider, Kurt Weiler. Kurt Weiler, rather, and I'll remind you, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Kurt, Happy New Year. How are you, sir? Um, I, I'm doing as, uh, as 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 well as can be under the circumstances. I mean, it was really unfortunate sitting there Saturday. I'm sure we're going to talk about it a little. Just kind of, it was a sense of, let's get this over with. I mean, it, it was not the ending befitting of the season, but I'm doing okay. No, you're right. And I was actually going to try and start the other way. Uh, Keith, okay. for those of you not, not in the uh, X universe, Keith, which would include you, unless you changed your resolutions, including that too. Uh, I think Kurt, Kurt was the one who put the pronunciation of DJU into a post. And so Florida State now has officially announced that DJU is transferred to Florida State. How did I do, Kurt? Did it take it cut out a little, actually. It's funny. Your your mic, your audio sounded a little weird. I think you – it's Ui Ungalale, I think. Okay. Some people have already, I think, resigned themselves to just DJU, which for most people, for fans, that probably works. But I feel like we have to be able to get the name right. 
I resigned myself to DJU when he was not in Florida State, but now that he's going exactly. to be in Florida State, I will I will make sure that I get that correct. So exactly. what what can you tell us about him? See, I'm starting by talking about looking forward before we look back, Kurt. We'll we'll have time to to uh, drown more sorrows, but uh what do you think? Yeah, I think I mean, I think he's a guy who uh fits exactly what Florida State was looking for from a standpoint of he's a one-year guy, he has one year of eligibility left. Uh showed real about growth and promise. It doesn't necessarily, if you're looking just at the baseline numbers, I don't think you see a necessary, necessarily growth um, from, from Clemson 2022 to Oregon State 2023 as a passer. But I think if you look inside the numbers, I think he was doing better uh, throwing the ball downfield. I think he was, he did a much better job. I think his, his average depth of target jumped considerably. I think his PFF grade and QB rating jumped considerably. And he, he improved in, in those facets. I also think, I mean, this is not, there's nothing Jordan really could have done about this as athletic, as great a athletic weapon as Jordan Travis was. I always felt like they were kind of overinflating his weight numbers a little, just like, I mean, it felt like he was never really what two twelve or 215 he wanted to be. I mean, DJ, I think ESPN has him listed at 6'5", 252 or something like that. I think that can make him, with how athletic he is too, in a different way, a real weapon in the run run game, a, a battering ram of sorts. And I think he he bridges the gap, and he's another guy that uh, Brock Glenn and Luke can, uh, can learn from before battling out in 2025, I would assume. And, and unlike other transfers, this coaching staff has actually seen him in person. He He had probably one of the better games of his Clemson career here. Outside yep. of that 2020 Notre Dame game, remember that game at Notre Dame in the COVID year when I think when Trevor Lawrence had COVID maybe, and he, everyone was like, oh, so they've got another one. I mean, it was a five-star recruit. The The ability is there. And, I mean, seeing what Mike did with Jordan over the course of a few years will be fascinating to see what, what he can do in one year with uh, a guy who I think on paper is more talented than Jordan Travis. In some ways, I should say. Sounds muted. For our listeners, Tom has uh, returned from South Florida and brought part of it back via the crud. Uh, so I'll jump in. As you move forward, have we gotten a report yet? When would we know? I'm assuming maybe next week or the week after about uh, the early enrollees from both the transfer portal and the uh, high school signing class. I think they might start rolling in this week. I think if your show goes on Wednesday, I think Wednesday is moving day for a, a lot of them. Obviously, I, I'm not sure about DJ because that came together late. And obviously, there'll be quite a few more transfers. I think also tomorrow, the uh, transfer portal visit window opens on Wednesday, the January window, kind of only for transfer guys. I think it's only like a five-day period, but I think Florida State's going to be pretty busy there with hosting people. But, you know, I think uh, the early enrollees, of which there are a lot, and I would bet maybe a Marvin Jones Jr. as well, uh, are moving in here this week. Kurt, when you look at the construction of the of the roster, um, and we've made the comparison, it's much like the NFL now. Uh, you know, you've got free agents, you've got folks that are coming off a of contract, you got to resign them. Um, what do you think this roster is going to look like ultimately? Uh, for the 24 season as compared to the 23, uh, I guess the simplistic is which which segment might be stronger, which segment might be a, a, a work in progress as you look at it early? Yeah, it's, I did a scholarship kind of updated tracker where the numbers are yesterday on on the Osceola, and I think it was pretty fitting to me. I mean, obviously, especially with DJ in the fold, 
it's not to say they're done with offensive additions. I think they're they're looking at a, and hosting a few got offensive skill position type guys, maybe an offensive lineman here this week. But I think the offensive the offense as a whole looks more ready made. I mean, it's uh, the the you look into the defense and kind of breaking down who they have in each position group with who they're losing. I mean, it's a great thing for them that Patrick Payton's coming back because if Patrick Payton was also not, I mean, he announced that yet on Monday, if he wasn't. They'd be replacing all four starters on the off on the off defensive line. They replacing their top three linebackers. I mean, there is a. They, it, it seems like their portal focused a little more there because I think that's what does need to be filled out. I think I like some of the younger guys they have, but you have to question, I mean, is a Byron Turner ready to start? Is, I mean, do you get Daryl Jackson and Josh Palmer back? It seems like, I mean, those could still be a little up in the air. They haven't kind of been announced through uh, the battles in yet, which feels like kind of the indicator. And at linebacker, I mean, is Blake Nicholson ready for a starting role or a main, major role? is Justin Cryer. I think the secondary is in good shape, but that front seven, I, I, doing the exercise yesterday of kind of seeing who they have at the position right now definitely was an eye-opener of, oh, they they have a need for probably some talent and some depth at those three spots. All right, Kurt, I started us on a positive note, but I'm going to point out now that the community is fully aware that defense doesn't matter. So... Should FSU, when I look at the offense, more to the point, when I look at the offense, without Johnny and Keon and Jaheim and Trey, are they out there looking for an all-star in one of those positions, do you think? Or is it Tom Bluthy, and they're not necessarily all young, but the less experienced guys just mature and get their chance? I think it seems like they are, I think, hosting a few. I think they're hosting a, this week. or And that's all fluid. Things can change. But I think they're supposed to host – uh a Florida Atlantic wide receiver transfer who had like 1,100 yards this year. So a very productive experience, maybe the guy they don't have right now. I think talent is not a problem in that room, but nice to have maybe a proven guy who's had that type of year. And uh, at running back, I think they're looking a little too. I think they're actually hosting this week the the family connection. I think is it's Jalen Lucas, the Indiana transfer, who is uh, Ja'Kai Douglas's brother from his hometown in, in Terre Haute over in Louisiana. He was in Indiana and I think is visiting here this weekend. So they're definitely looking, but I, like I said, I think defense is what you will see more additions on the defense the rest of the way now that the quarterback is settled for sure. Kurt, Tommy and I talked about this in our, our post-game uh, podcast, but I want to explore it with you. Um, do you just bury the Georgia tape and forget about it? Or is there anything to learn from it? I think, I mean... It is a cruel, cruel world where I think I tweeted during that game, six guys on defense. It ended up being the defense was more depleted than maybe, I mean, they, that was kind of with the late, late in finding out about Josh Farmer, about Braden Fisk, about Tatum Bethune. And I know Jerry and Bernardo, I think, were pretty late opt-outs as well. Six guys were making their first career starts. You don't enjoy watching that film, but I think four, I mean, a lot of those guys are going to have much bigger roles next year, I have to imagine, whether they're starters or not. It's not a tough watch, and I'm not sure you go to it a lot, but I'm sure there's value there of, I mean, it's just tough to ask the, that that roster to go against the Georgia team, which had no way into the playoff. But I think we, I, I think, I would bet you all agree, was one of the four best teams in the country. I think, you know, I mean, they, they were not on that one day. And I think we found out Alabama was pretty good on that one day. And other than that, they were a, they were a good team, maybe not one of the four best teams, but they, they were on that day, and that's what matters against Georgia. 
But no, I mean, I think there is value in it as as tough a, a, a watch as it is just because, I mean, you can point out to guys, hey, here's where you went wrong. Here's where. And I mean, it's just it, it won't be a fun watch, but I think it is a necessary watch for a number of those guys. I don't think we'll have any screenings for the public, Keith, to, to try and generate more revenue to rewatch that, however. But, I would you agree. know it, um, it, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, Kurt, what it, uh, just to wrap up the portal part of this conversation, how many guys uh, do you have a feel for how many they're going to end up with? This has been that number that's, is it going to be four to six? Is it going to be eight to ten? What do you think right now? They're at, so by our math of what we know right now, I think with DJ, they're at, I think it's 78 or 79 scholarships. So maybe they lose a few more this week. I think the portal window for non-grad transfers in terms of guys who can enter is five days after the bowl game. So they can enter through, I think, Thursday. But as of now, I mean, that tells you right there, they've got two in. They could probably add seven more unless they're kind of pulling some more away. So it might be in that nine to 10 range, similar to last year. All right. Uh, well, and hopefully, uh, was it was last year nine or ten. It feels like it's been slowly declining, but but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they got a great high school class this year, and so they continue to build that way as well. All right. Let's yeah. let's save the uh, the true look back and the discussion on the college football playoffs till our next segment. How about we do that? We'll take a break, come back, and continue with Kurt Weiler right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles. So, Kurt, KJ, and I talked about this at the top of the show, but... Uh... Did, did you tune in with bated breath to watch the playoffs? Did you begrudgingly watch them? Was it bittersweet? What was the emotion? I think begrudging is kind of the right word. I mean, the truth of the matter is we get to this point, college football is kind of my my sport if I had to pick one. I appreciate plenty of others. I watch NFL. I enjoy covering college basketball and college baseball. But college football is my sport. There were three games left by the time the playoffs kicked off. I needed to watch those. It was It was definitely begrudging. And there were some tweets that, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it was, it was not the funnest day watching football, but I I, I couldn't not watch after I kind of considered that a little at first. I'm sure some Florida State fans didn't. I I kind of almost wish I could join them. Uh, I, I guess that this is a personal observation and all of us will have our own opinion, but I do believe that a vast number, a good number, not the majority number, of FSU fans were uh, delighted might be too strong a word, but at least happy that Alabama lost. Uh, and I'm not sure that's a good emotion or not, but uh, th- that's kind of the sense I get for it. How about you? It, happy in a way. Cause like, I think if, if Alabama that probably shouldn't have been in all had won the title or even like a Texas, you know, like it would have been a little like, well, that's unfortunate. Like, cause like you could make the case for a stolen title or whatever, but also it just kind of, in a way, I think, enforced kind of the Florida State fan. I'm sure, like, there was some happiness and some schadenfreude at Alabama's behalf. But I'm sure it was also kind of a, well, that's what we knew. We knew that team wasn't head and shoulders better than Florida State to where, I mean, we we did saw the Arkansas game. We saw the, the, the Auburn game. They, I mean, they, they were a perfectly fine team who had one very good day against Georgia. And, and I think that kind of, I mean, Jalen Milrow, I mean, for all the talk about a, 
we can't have Tate Rodemaker or Brock Glenn starting a playoff game. Uh, they might have thrown for more yards than Jalen Milrow did. I'm not going to lie. I, I enjoyed it from that standpoint. And it's not a lack of respect or appreciation for what Nick Saban and Alabama have done. Certainly they've earned that. And and some would say they've earned the benefit of the doubt, which is clearly what they got this year. But uh, at the same time, I, I'm happy to see it get diversified a little bit. And we've got two new teams, not historically new, but new compared to the last five or 10 years that are going to play for the title. And I'm sure the Big Ten is claiming them both as Big Ten teams, even though Washington's not officially in yet. But uh, that, that's sort of my thought on it. KJ, what did you think of uh, of watch, Washington and watching uh, Penix play? I had only seen highlights uh, of him and, you know, and those three receivers that he gets the ball to. I was unbelievably impressed. And the other thing that really uh, stood out to me is the fact that uh, he had not run much during the regular season, but when he needed to use his legs, uh, they were very valuable and he was very effective. Uh, I just didn't know his story. I knew he was in the Heisman hunt. I knew he went to New York. I knew the voting, but you know, we just don't see the West coast teams regularly uh, over here on the East coast. Uh, but I was I was very impressed with him. I was very impressed with that team. I hate that they lost their running back. I, I think that's going to be uh, a big contributing factor as they line up against Michigan. But I was very impressed with the quarterback. Very. Florida, Florida State fans have been blessed the last few years with Jordan Travis, but I did see some lamenting. I mean, there's a world where Michael Penix ended up at Florida State instead of Indiana. I think kind of the story there was Willie Taggart was slow playing him a little bit. He was out of Tampa Bay Tech and uh, and thought thinking he was getting someone else and. He kind of didn't take so kindly to that and, and chose Indiana over Florida State and, and look where he is now. Yep. You know the way recruiting works, though, Kurt. I mean, there's there's some percentage of the fans, and I feel like it gets higher every year, that are more interested in what the recruiting rankings are than what the results on the field are. 100%. Uh, you know, as it, as it factors into the narrative. But, uh, no, I, I get your point on that. He certainly has had a terrific career. All right, so as you reflect on this, uh, the 63-3, to you know, it's 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 not going to technically be an asterisk in the media guide, I wouldn't think, although I wouldn't blame FSU if they did. But the record, the season will go down as 13-1. and one. And for me, having been involved here for a lot of years, this is one of the more memorable, more fun seasons I can recall being a part of. Uh, that's how I'm going to choose to remember it. I was sort of numb watching the game from the sideline the other day. Uh, I mean, I was there, but it was almost like I wasn't there. I was like, okay, this is going, unfortunately, like how I thought it might go. But it is what it is, you know? Yeah, I think most people, especially in the long run, I kind of saw some people doing it right away. I think I didn't see too many people optimistic going into that game, given the state of the roster, given the team they were going against. I mean, who knows? There's a world where maybe Florida State could hang if they'd gotten assigned the Liberty or if they'd gotten assigned a Penn State or, you know, there were some some games in the New Year's Six where, I mean, they got assigned, I think, one of the better teams in the country, just a team that was never going to make the playoff. And so, yeah, I think most people – it. Some immediately, and I definitely think in the long term, we'll think of for what the season what it was. Unfortunately, like we all knew, even though I, I wrote a column kind of defending all the players who opted out and said, I mean, they were told all their games didn't matter. I, I'm not sure I would choose to play in a meaningless bowl game after I was told all the game didn't matter, that, uh, that the 63-3 to result kind of validated Florida State not being in and just rolled my eyes at the, the uh, bad faith arguments that I was encountering on Twitter that night. And really, I'm still encountering. I do think, and, and this is not a, a, a revolutionary or a, a terribly insightful comment, but I do think what's going to measure the 23 season is what the 24 club does. 
I know Coach Norvell won't talk about that. You know, Jimbo was really big on each year is different. However, if you're looking at the program and you're looking at development of the program, if they go six and six next year, then that will mean that 2023 was a fluke. But if they, they roll in with eight, nine, ten wins um, or more, uh, then that will be a validation that the program is still growing and building. Um, agree, disagree, or am I just too old school in that regard? Wouldn't go so far as to say one year of six and six. Like if they're six and six next year, it becomes it's a fluke. It becomes a lot of things must have gone right. Let's see if he can now kind of have to rebuild a little again. He'll have to, I mean, kind of rediscover that. I mean, obviously, if it becomes multiple years, that's when, to me, I mean, you you start looking at this as a, a flash in a pan, and, and unfortunately, would make how things ended that much more tragic. Of, I mean, if if this if that's how this happened here, you hope this wasn't Mike Norvell's best team. I'm not sure the 20, 2014 will be better, but in the twelve team playoff era, as it's going to be next year, you make the playoff if you win the ACC. And I think this team is absolutely capable of winning the ACC. I'm sorry, Kurt. What did you say? Yeah, I know. I, I've had a few people on <laughs> on Twitter and on our message board. I mean, it's what because it's the it's the five conferences now because they're yeah, it's going to be the five conferences are guaranteed a spot. So I mean, the ACC is always I think going to be one of the best five conferences, even if it's not what the SEC and Big Ten are financially or in terms of top to bottom talent. I don't know if that's what Keith was hinting at or at the fact that you said FSU could win the ACC again next year. So in spite of all the losses, you see them being right in that, uh, right in that mix. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced that, that Clemson's going to magically find something again. I think they finished the season strong, but a fascinating off season for them, but Dabo sure seemed to think he discovered it. What was his talk about? Like, I hope you bought the stock when I told you to or whatever. And there'll be some, I mean, NC state's doing well in the portal. Virginia Tech had a nice little offseason or had a nice finish to the season. Louisville's had a nice offseason. It's not to say there aren't other teams in there, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I absolutely think if, if things break right, especially with the portal, and if they do what they've done pretty much every year in the portal and get most of who they want, yes, absolutely, I think they could be right back in that conversation. So we're talking right now. We're still waiting on a TV contract for this next round of the playoffs, right? So there's still – Mm-hmm. Some to be determined. What what is the first four get votes, and then yes. the next highest ranked four will host home games on the same Saturday as the Heisman or the weekend with the Heisman, I guess. I'm, yeah, I, I guess I that might might be right. I'm not sure. That's that'd be fascinating what the Heisman ceremony does. You're right because they've kind of had had that Saturday night plugged out for all their TV stuff. Yeah, I don't know the scheduling, but yes, that's how the format works. And then I think like the New Year's Six now will always be either a quarterfinal game or a semifinal game. They kind of rotate like they do. But, uh, it, yeah, I think it's like the, you either – the Orange Bowl will never be a quote-unquote meaningless game again. I think it will always now be a quarterfinal game or a semifinal game. Kurt, when you talk about the meaningless and you talk about the other bowl games and all the attention that is played on on the four and now the 12, um, do some of the minor bowls regain some credibility? moving forward or we're fixing to see some of them go by the wayside. It's funny. I feel like I've seen more this year than ever before. People kind of make a case for moving those bowls, moving all non bowls that have kind of championship implications from December. I mean, I think they're kind of in December really for to have TV stuff during the holidays, to have stuff on TV and live programming. 
some people it seems like want to move into August and have them be pre you you lock in the matchup in December, but it's kind of a preseason game in August. It doesn't count, but it's just uh, you're playing another team before the season actually begins. I, I I feel it could go a number of ways. I mean, unfortunately, I'm not sure the opt outs are going anywhere. And I think the good thing is, I mean, the 12 team playoff keeps more teams and more players invested for longer. But I'm not sure it changes anything with the the uh, the rest of the bowls. So what you're suggesting is we move the bowls to August, we'll move the early signing date to August, and then we'll get all everything going in August so that we'll make December a lot less hectic. I'm being facetious, of course. Yeah, well, the portal window, we do have to figure something. I mean, the unfortunate thing is the academic calendar where, I mean, they have to be in school by January. Like, you can't, like, some people want to move the portal to January 1st, and it just, you can't. If the portal isn't open till January 1st, the chaos of those two weeks before dropout ends and everyone has to be in, I mean, it would be, it would be just as bad. I don't know that there is a good solution. I do know there that the, the worst solution or the less than great solution would be moved in the portal. I think the portal's got to stay the way it is. And then we've got to find a way to move the early signing day. Uh, and again, my personal opinion, I don't know how many would agree with this, uh, would be to move that to August. Uh, and therefore those kids that want to lock in and then add a caveat, add a caveat. If you yes. sign your national letter of intent, and by the time, if you wanted to early enroll in January, by that time rolls around, if your coach has changed, you get released from that and you can re-sign. Yeah, because, I mean, February is not even really a thing anymore. And I guess you could have that for the the late people who are kind of the only ones who have to sign in August or the early enrollees. But I think that's definitely a possibility. I think the coaches, I mean, the coaches might not mind having to, if they could have, the majority of their class locked up in August and not have to worry about those guys during the season and have them on the phone every week and, and keeping them happy and making sure they're not looking elsewhere. I mean, I'm sure they would not mind that. I agree. What else is coming up on the Osceola here? Portal coverage and uh, the, the football season's kind of year round now. So you'll go from portal to off season to spring and then we'll be back at it again. Yeah. I imagine we'll be interviewing newcomers, uh, before we knew it, we do have some yeah portal stuff. I mean, it'll kick into high gear, especially tomorrow. I think the first few guys will be arriving on campus on on Wednesday. Probably also some more uh, looking back at the season type stuff. I mean, it's hard to do after how it ended, but I think still it's a season people want to remember. We appreciate your guys' uh, great work. It was a great season, even if the, uh, the the last chapter was not the best. We'll just not read that chapter too much, uh, uh, too frequently when we revisit the book. We appreciate it though, Kurt. Appreciate more front, it, guys. More front row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on front row Knowles. So uh, we talked with Kurt. What are, you, what are your thoughts about uh, DJU coming in? And uh, I would assume taking the reins. But to be fair to Brock and and Luke, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of there's there's it's it's the it's the deepest, most talented group Florida State's had at the quarterback position in a while. I'd say. I think it's a very good move. Uh, I was impressed with him. Uh, you know, the couple of times that uh, I saw him uh, of any significant playing time at Clemson, uh, he certainly uh, is a highly touted athlete. Uh, and uh, I think Norvell and his system 
lends itself towards uh, a quarterback that, you know, can be mobile, can run. You're not asking him to be a triple option guy. You're not asking him to, to run the ball 12 or 15 times a ball game. But you've got to have the threat of it. Uh, he's, he's big. He's strong. Uh, I haven't researched because I just haven't paid attention to it. His, his injury history, but I don't recall that being a problem. <laughs> Pardon me. So I, I think it's a really, really good move. Uh, I like the comments that I've read. I've never met DJU. Uh, never had the opportunity to visit with him. But just by reading the comments about how he felt, uh, and I tell you, uh, you know, we talk about Jordan uh, and we talk about what he's going to mean to to this program on down the road uh, and the class that he exhibited and some of the tweets that he had put out over the uh, the New Year's Day about Alabama losing and the emojis and those types of things. But one of the things I did read based on uh, some comments that uh, DJU made uh, is that Travis was a big part of of his attraction here and he enjoyed visiting with Jordan and, and, and getting to understand what was about this program that Jordan liked and made him better. Cause I think they're very similar in many respects. Shout out to Jordan, by the way, who's gotten lots of praise for the way he handles his business, but he was around at all the orange bowl practices. He was around at the hotel. He was on the sideline coaching up Brock in the middle of the game, all of that, uh, just, just first class all the way. And, Seems to be making progress on his rehab too, so I, I wish him the best in that front. Uh, me, one difference, if I can interject, you you probably didn't see this, or you may not have paid attention to it. But on the on the telecast, there was a, a time, uh, and I don't recall the exact circumstances or where it was in the game, but but um, you know, Florida State, you know, it, it, the quarterbacks are sitting there, and there's 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 Brock, and there's Jordan and Coach Norvell. And you can see Jordan and Norvell talking, and then they both turn. And then Mike speaks, and Jordan speaks, and Mike speaks, and Jordan speaks. I mean, it was a really, really interesting 30, 40 second, just visual about, all right, this guy's hurt. He's not even playing. But he's right there interjecting with the head coach. I'm not saying he's correcting or amplifying. I'm just saying he's there interjecting. And then both of them are talking individually to the guy that's got to go back out there in the next series. It was it was a really interesting visual. You're saying he's a future coach. I I think he's still got some playing time ahead of him, but yes, there might be a future there. Yeah. Yeah. One one thing that's that is different, uh, and everything I've heard about DJU is first class, uh, high character guy. Uh, but his size is definitely different than Jordan's when you got six, five and that weight, I mean, hopefully, and this, this goes with, with the climb and building and getting better at both lines of scrimmage. And obviously Florida state was really damn good on the defensive line this year, but it would be nice if third and one, we could line up and lean the quarterback forward and it was not a challenge and boom, there's your one yard. We, we've been lamenting that for how many years now? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, since uh, since Dane Williams, probably in that offense. Uh, oh, well, whatever happened to 34 Wham? Yeah, exactly. Well, William Floyd could tell you about it. You know, he's he's like a dinosaur now. Uh, former fullback. There's not many of these walking around anymore. And the ones no, walking, walking with the limp. But 
and and I can attest to that because Floyd walks with a limp and that knee is catching up to him. Um, Keith, this this was a fun year. I know we got to put the the season to bed. Uh, we kind of relived this on Sunday. Um, I guess I don't know when it happened. I did. There is there's part of me that we started so great against LSU, and then it just felt like we had a lot of conversations week to week about getting back to that level, and it felt like Florida State never did. Yet they were 13-0, and 0 and there were memorable highlights along the way. So I hate to suggest they didn't achieve their full potential because I think they did based on the health of their parts over the course of the year. I just think it was one of those years. The 2013 team had great injury luck. Nobody got hurt. This year, a lot of guys got hurt. They might have been out there playing, but they weren't playing 100% healthy, and just, it just wasn't the best injury luck year for them. Tommy, we've talked about this, 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 the Norvell program um, doesn't have a, a great deal of highs and lows. Uh, you know, we, we, we hear coach Hamilton talk about that on the basketball side all the time. Uh, and that's kind of a, a forte of Leonard. And we've seen that over 22, 23 years that he's been at the helm on the hard court. Uh, we talked about the fact that Florida state started slow. There didn't seem to be that, that, uh, initial um, enthusiasm and and that initial uh, ability to get all the starting blocks quickly. But uh, I would think that's the next step that this squad needs to take in 24, the ability to understand they've got to start faster. Yeah, by the time the second quarter rolled around or after halftime adjustments, I think we would all say in the majority of Florida State's games, they did play really close to their potential. Uh, but it's the age-old thing of, of starting quicker, starting faster. Um, and that's not to say there weren't a couple of ball games that they did start pretty fast. But just consistently coming out and, and being able to take it to the opponent, uh, you know, on the first drive, whether it's offense or defense, that might be another step that this program needs to focus on and find a way to try to accentuate yeah, it's been a it's been a fun four years as you look back. Three wins to five wins to ten wins to thirteen wins. It's gonna be tough to keep that trajectory still uh pinning forward like that. But uh Mike Norvell and company have done a good job and they'll they'll retool and DJU is is the first and uh and Marvin Jones Jr. as well. And I'm sure they'll get five or six other guys here in the portal. Fun. I did part of me, uh this is the old guy in me, Keith. I do miss that uh you know, the names change so frequently now, but that, that is what it is. That well, is what it, just, it is. It just means that uh, someone like a Kalen Deloach uh, is going to have a, a, a unique um, a legacy, yeah. a unique legacy, uh, because that, that's a kid that, uh, you know, stuck it out. Uh, he chose to play and um, my hat's off to him. He's, he's old school like us. He could be a, really good and valuable member of front row Knowles, even though he's much younger. There you go. All right. We're out of time. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to front row Knowles.